When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Welcome to episode 164 of the Unholy Trinity podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network. And also Fanatics, brought back down to earth a little bit, weren't we, at Goodison Park after losing uh, our 100% home record under Sean Dice after Aston Villa ran away 2-0 winners. And it's got to be said, it was a disappointing outcome uh, after what was, I thought, a fairly a fairly positive performance. I've got to be honest with you. I didn't think we played poorly. I didn't think we were play, we were played off the park in any way, shape, or form. And the difference between the two sides was was probably that final third, and it's the the, the same old story. And and Pete, obviously, we we had a had a good chat after the game yesterday. Um, and we were listening with me to obviously the the phone ins post match, and we couldn't quite believe. Some pundits were saying Everton played poorly when, all in all, I'd probably say it was a better performance than, than the Leeds game, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I thought we were organised, thought we worked really hard. And look, the, the stats don't lie, do they? I, I really don't understand. And, and look, some Evertonians came out as well and said that, you know, they were poor. And I think there was a fair bit of anxiety after the game, probably because some of the other, other results went against us. But, you know, we had 15 shots to Villa's nine. Um, same amount on target, but their their keeper was was busier than than Jordan Pickford. I know Pickford made uh, you know a world class save before they uh, they scored the pen, um, but you know Martinus had to make a top save from that Anana header as well, and uh, we had one off the line. And I I just thought for the, the the large sort of majority of the game until a very soft penalty. We were by far the better team. I thought Aston Villa looked um, like they really struggled with our um, aggressiveness. I thought we we were most of the second balls. Um, it, we were just lacking that little bit of quality. And again, until the penalty, you know, Ollie Watkins, who's you know been in top form, had a really really quiet game. You know, I, I thought we managed him really really well. Um, and never mind Aston Villa. I, I thought it was Anthony Taylor too. Everton nil. I thought the referee just had an absolute shocker. I, I hate it when we have to talk about the referee um, on on the podcast. You know, I really do. But he, it it was a terrible game. I, honestly, you you could have got me out of the stands and put you know put me in the referee's top, and I would have ref that game more fairly than than Anthony Taylor. Um, it was an absolute travesty. It, it, it spoiled the game. I mean, there, there were moments where I thought, like, this could go our way here because it's, you know, it's going to get the crowd on side. Might give the players a bit of a lift if we can get the first goal. It might be a weird blessing in disguise, but it, it ended up spoiling the game. I'm sure we'll come on to the penalty because it. I, I'd be interested what what you two think, but for me, it was it was borderline. I didn't have a great view of it where from where I was sat, but 
I've looked at it a few times since and I, I think it's one of those that's that's on the fence and um, I think if if it was in the other end of the pitch, I'm not sure where the ref would have blown his whistle, but definitely more positives than the negatives. I mean, I, I came away from that game pleased with how we played and just thought we were a bit unlucky, really. Yeah, I think I think it hinged in the, on that penalty. You know, it was we, we had the warning shot with the the fantastic save by Jordan Pickford, which which potentially goes down as one of the saves of the season. What what a fantastic save that that, that was. Uh, and I said to the fella next to me, you know, we, we've got to we've got to stay alert. Here. There, there, there's a warning, and within a, within a few minutes, the, you know, you get a penalty and make it one nil. But you know, the we, we're going to come on to our sure fours, of course. Uh, but the, the, the referee performance from the first few minutes when he, he books Onana, which was a, a bizarre situation in itself. You know, when a, a player's gone down, Villa Villa played played the ball forward. It came to nothing. The the player got treatments. You know, the players were talking. O'Neill in the end went over to, to make sure the fella was okay. And then all of a sudden, the, the yellow card gets brandished. And, and straight away, that puts one of our one of our best players and one of our most combative players in his, in his head. That was on the yellow card. And, and, and it impacts his game, in my opinion. And, you know... Apparently, just, mate, apparently, so it's interject there, uh, they were reviewing a possible red. On VAR, they were reviewing, from what I've heard, they were reviewing a possible red, and in the end, they went with a yellow, which was shocking. It, well, this is the problem, isn't it? You know, and, and again, if that was the case, and and it may have been, where's the communication in the ground? Because that wasn't there. Nothing come on the on the boards. Nothing. No, nobody knew what was going on. Hence, why when the when he brandished a yellow card, then I was like, well, why is it taking you two minutes or so? To, and it's taking Amadona to go over to the player to, to make sure he's okay for you to, to, to brand this yellow card. It's just just crazy. And that the, the store was set out early for me. And then as the first half went on, we weren't getting certain things, little things that, that Villa were getting. Listen, we haven't lost the game because of the referee, and, and we haven't. We've lost the game because in the final third, we're not clinical. It, it is as simple as that. Um, but in a game, you know, it was finally poised, like, like you said, Pete, we were the better side. Statistics showed that. Um, we had we had some really really good chances, especially in that first half as well. Um, when when obviously you, you you have you look back on the game uh, and you look at the the officials' performance as well, it's always a difficult one to to actually stomach. Um, but Leah, how would you feel obviously post match? I know obviously you weren't you weren't there yesterday. Um, Obviously, on when you look at the the score two um, nil, it's a it's a kick in the stomach. It's disappointing because we 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 probably put a we have we put a lot of weight on our home games, haven't we? You know, from now to the end of the season, the opposition were a mid table side, um, definitely a winnable game. How does it make you feel? Obviously, losing that game now, looking looking forward. Well, we always knew it was going to be a tight game going into it. I think we called it last week on the podcast, anyway. You know, Villa have been resurgent under Emery since he's come in. They've had a blip recently. They've lost to coming into this game, losing three, conceding four goals in two of those games as well. So, you know, arguably it might have been a good time to play them. Um, but it always, you know, we've had this conversation now, and I think this is going to be a regular conversation um, between now and the end of the season. In these types of games... You've got, you know, because because we're such a low goal scoring side, and we we carry little threat, we carry little creativity. You know, we haven't got an out and out striker that can, you know, like we said last week, you know, like a Sahara even or something like that. You know, we can put the ball in the net. We're always going to have these types of games, unfortunately, lads, aren't we? Where where we're going to be resolute, we're going to be putting a shift in, we're going to be you know, relatively hard to beat. But unless we score that first goal. The patterns are going to be very similar. We, you know, we had to score first. Villa started well yesterday. You know, they put us under a little bit the first 15, 20. But once we got to grips with that, we were the better side before half time. You know, arguably there could have gone in potentially similar to last week against Leeds, you know, in front. You know, when you like Pete said, with the aggression we had with the second balls, everything else. Mope was getting on the ball, not Mope, sorry, McNeil was getting on the ball a lot, wasn't he? He was an outlet. Obviously, his task was just to shift it and get it in. But, yeah, unless we score first in these games, if we're saying this as fans, imagine what it's like for the players 
if the players are there thinking now, look, if we can see first, we're struggling to score one. How are we going to score two mm. in a game? And that'll transmit to the opposition as well. Of course, the opposition managers are going to turn around and say, "Look, guys, get the first goal here. The game's as good as one." Mm. And that, and that, and that's that's why in these games now, it's criminal. And we've said this a million times. I don't want to harp on about it. It's just criminal that we've been relying on a Calvert Lewin who's really struggled with injuries the last eighteen months. You know, and I've said this publicly. We've said it before. We've had Danny Donachie on talking about it. You know, feel for the lad. It's not his fault. You know, if, he's, if, if his physiology means he keeps on picking up these strains and these muscular injuries. But, you know, we knew that. They knew that. So we, we had to get somebody in. Anybody in, you know, that, that could play that type of role. Because Mope, you know, like I was saying to you guys, our fair then, and I, I don't want to weigh in on him again because I feel like it's like a, you know, a one-man mission on Mope here. But ultimately, him playing in that role just offers us nothing. He doesn't. He can't run in behind. He hasn't got any pace. He hasn't got a trick to go by someone and, and, and get a shot on goal. He doesn't run across his man at the near post. He very rarely seems to be in a threatening position in the box when the balls come in anyway. And, you know, he scored one goal for his whole season. You know what I mean? His hold-up play is, 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 is poor. You know, very rarely gets hold of it or wins fouls. And I know Mike, you've turned around and defended him partly and by saying that he's a guy that needs to play off somebody else. And I agree with that. But, you know, very rarely in the modern game now do, do any teams play with two up front. You know, very rarely. So, you know, the only other option we've really got is either you push your Nana further up and then ask him to sort of maybe win a few, you know, a few headers or whatever, or try and hold the ball up. Or you play an Ellis Sims and you play a 4-4-2 possibly. But I don't think Dice is going to change that. So ultimately, we're playing with a guy there who's, you know, five foot something against two big centre-halves in Mings and uh, in Konza. So, you know, like I said, and I'll go back to the point at the start, if we don't score first in these tight games, and this is going to be a regular theme, because like Pete just said there, the game was there to be won before the penalty, wasn't it? The game was there, it was in the balance. If we could have nicked that first goal, I know there was one off the line, and if we could have nicked that first goal, possibly could have gone on to win it, we'd have had something to hold on to. But as soon as we concede, it's almost just like, right, are we going to score two here now? Are we going to score two? And, you know, there's nothing more poignant for me that Frank Lampard was fuming in his press conference the day we missed out on Danny, uh, Danny Ings. Danny Ings, who ended up going to, going to West Ham, Lampard, as good as said, and Redknapp even came out himself and said he wanted the boy. And then look at, you know, another team like us who've really struggled in front of goal this season. West Ham, they've now built Danny Ings' fitness up. He starts the game and he scores two goals for them against Forrest in a, in a vital game. That's the difference right there. I'm not saying Danny Ings is world-class. He's far from it. But right now, if we had Danny Ings at front instead of Mope, we may have turned some of these games into potential wins, certainly possibly yesterday. I don't know what you think. I think my, I mean, my, my defending of Mope... And, and I'll stick by it. He, he would be better in a two when you've got another centre forward occupying one of the other centre halves. What, 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 what I will say is this: looking back at, at the game yesterday, and, and I've rewatched the highlights as well. You know, he had a couple of good chances there yesterday. He had one from an Alex Obi corner, but it's, it's okay. It's 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 flashed across his header, gone gone just wide, and he had one off the line like he did against against Leeds as well. So on another day, he could have scored two and two. But the point is, he hasn't scored two and two, and that's a big problem. Dwight McNeil, I thought, was fantastic in terms, especially first half. He's doing exactly what the manager wants him to do. His work rate is very, very good. Uh, he's putting the balls into some fantastic areas. I mean, again, a couple of great crosses in the in the first half. And when we talk about about movement of a centre forward, we never ever see Mopey at that near post. And how often that ball is getting flashed across. And it's going in that area. You take a little gamble as a centre forward there, then he, he's in. He can easily score a goal from say five, six yards out. Now I spoke to you earlier on today, Lee, and I mentioned obviously Dominic Calvert Lewin when when Carlos Lotti came in and he said to him, "Forget all this running around that you know down the the flanks and what have you. You you stay central. You score your goals in the six yard box." And I mean, look what happened to Dom. You know, we needed a little bit of guidance. Obviously, he had the Richardson in and around him. But Dom scored a lot of his goals in, in his uh, his best in, in, in a massive purple patch for him. 
in the ground six, eight yards out. That's where Dom scored his goals. And that's where strikers should be scoring the goals. You want to be scoring tap-ins. You want to be scoring goals from three, four yards out. You don't want to have to be making goals for yourself. The, the one goal that Mopé scored was, was a fantastic finish against West Ham. You know, he's hit it really well about 18 yards out. But I'm sure him, he wants to be scoring goals from two, three yards out. But he doesn't make those runs to, to stick the ball in the back of the net because you, you've got our best crosser of the ball is Dwight McNeil. It's, it's as simple as that. So you know when he's got the ball and he's always trying to get across and you can see he was constantly working, trying to just work half a yard and nine times out of ten, the ball was getting across. As a centre forward, you've got to know where to go. You, you, you've got to have that instinct of where to go. But also, you've got to know, I can know it as a fan, how often that ball's going you know, into the near post. If, I, if that's me, I'm, I'm going to the near post. As soon as, soon as he shapes it to cross, I'm gone. And he's just not doing that. And you know, that's you're taught like... as a centre forward, aren't you, to get across that front man every time, course, aren't you? You're taught yeah. as a centre forward, it's a common run in football. Shearer used to get a bag. Prime example in game is like Olivier Giroud. Always get in front of his full in front of the front man at the near post, make that run. If you time the run well, you know, uh, like you said, Mike, you expected him to cross it. Because McNeil, let's be honest, he's not one of those frustrating wingers where he's going to do about five step overs and then fake to. You know, he's just looking to get a yard and whip it in. You know it's coming in. Get across your front man and get anything on it. Anything. It's, it's a glance. It's a, you know, a head, a foot, whatever. Just get it, you know, deflect it towards goal. Anything can happen. But, you know, the, when these balls are coming in, he's not even attacking it. Mm. You know, he's not attacking it. He's, he's a centre forward. The lad scored a glut of goals in the championship. He should know how to make those moves, surely. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course he should. Um and like I say, I think if he had someone alongside him, it might bring out the best in him. But we don't play that way. And this is, you know, I'm, I'm sick of having about this situation, about just having nobody to come in behind Dominic Calvert-Lewin who's going to give you what, what he gives you on his on his best days. And, you know, you look at, again, yesterday, Ellis Sims come, uh, comes on for, for a handful of minutes. And when, when they're your two striking options behind your number one striker, it, it, it's absolutely embarrassing. And listen, no, no, no offense to either player, especially Ellis Sims, who's a young kid who's been pulled back. We've had this conversation many times. Not down to him. He shouldn't be in that position. He should be on loan, and and that, that's that's what the what what should be happening with him. But but teams know that. T- teams know now. Like you said, if they get ahead, then they're probably going to at least get a point out of the game. Once they got that penalty yesterday. In my head, and the conversations around me were, but all we're going to get now is a draw at best. We're not going to score two. And the, the sides we're playing, they know that because we just don't look like we're going to stick the ball in the back of the net unless we get a set piece. And that is the, the, the frustrating thing. But we, you know, we we go back to, to the penalty, and after probably the first 15 minutes, I'd say we, we were a much better side. I thought we had control of the game. We we had chances to score. Um, I, I thought that you know, bar creating some, you know, anything too good uh, and looking looking too clinical, we looked all right. And and I thought what we were doing was was fairly successful. I didn't feel too threatened by by Villa. Um, you know, we, we had the chance where we we discussed this on the way up, didn't we? Where we you weren't sure if it the post or what have you from the Iwobi shot. It hits Tyrell Mings and he's hit the shot. It's going wide. Mings is on the floor and it comes back into play. And that's when Mopey heads it and it's it's, it's off the line. So we're, we're in the game with a better side for me. And then the penalty is given. Um, and I've looked back at it a few times now. I've seen a couple of different angles. Lee, you sent me the one from, from the front on. Um, and in my opinion, I still believe he got the ball. From both angles that I've seen, I think he got the ball. And I'm not saying it was a great tackle in terms of having to throw yourself in there, just jockey him across the box, just jockey him across the box, you know. But for me, I thought he got the ball. I thought it was soft. VAR's official line was that he made contact with the player prior to touching the ball. So they're admitting there he's touched the ball. I don't think there was much of any contact there. I've got to be honest, not enough to, 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 to go down. But but Peter, I mean, you've seen it as well. It wasn't clear at the game. There didn't seem to be too many protests from the players, I've got to be honest. But what, what are your thoughts on, on the award of the penalty and also how basically it changed the game? 
thought, well, like I said before, I thought it was soft from where I was sat, and I thought it was soft when I, I um, you know, saw it close up on on several replays. But I think the confusing thing for me is is what you just said there that it was the lack of response from the players because when I saw it real time, I thought, well, it looks soft. I thought, but, but nobody's kicking off, nobody's in the referee's face, nobody, you know, nobody's sort of protesting that much. And you normally watch that, don't you? When you when you're at the match live, you, you look to the reaction. Of, of the players as a bit of a gauge for you know what's just happened there or you know you know has the referee made a clangor or you know did he clip his legs and you know everybody kind of knows that and you've just got to get on with it so I was a bit confused by the sort of muted response really and I don't know whether that's the players sort of saying well look, we've got to leave it to VAR but whether we like it or not it, it, it does influence the game and it does influence officials because how many times do we see decisions like that go against us and it's another Everton cliche isn't it are, are we a bit too soft sometimes a bit too fair a bit too nice because yeah when you look at it you think he's got a good foot on that on on the ball it's not particularly clear that it you know he, he makes that much contact with McGinn he certainly doesn't take him out you wouldn't even describe the challenge as clumsy you know, he's got to do something. He's got to put a foot in because McGinn's in the position where he's running across the box. So if, you, if we're going to talk about defensive errors, he should never be allowed to do that in the first place. Someone should be getting across him and at least blocking him off or making it physically difficult. So, yeah, I thought it was really soft, but I was, re- yeah, I was, I was confused by the way we responded as a team to it, really. I don't know what you lads think. Well, firstly, look, first and foremost, Villa could call on somebody the quality of Buendia off the bench. You know, Buendia's a player I wanted at Everton when he was available. I think he's a lovely little player. He's got that bit of creativity that we sorely lack at the minute. And that's, you know, that touch made the goal, really, wouldn't it? You know, he's, he's taken players out of the game. Garner finds himself the wrong side of McGinn, like you just said there, Pete. And look, we know McGinn. McGinn's a solid Premiership player and he can hit it with his left foot. You know, that's on his left foot. So I think Garner's thinking, I'm going to have to put something in here to try and nick the ball off him before he gets a shot off because the lad has got a half decent shot on him. You know, and it, it, it's a bit, it, it, to me, it's a bit rash. You know, you, when you go down that in the, in the box, you have to get a chunk of the ball, don't you? You're taking a big risk and look, you, you know, taking my Everton hat off on it. If that had been the other way and we wouldn't have got a pen, I wouldn't have been happy, put it that way. Do you know what I mean? So it, it, is, it is relatively soft, you know, it, but it's not as big as a howler we've had in the past, have we, where we've had like, you know, Man City handball, for example. Um, and even the same referee, he was the same referee that didn't give that handball against Deli Alley when Deli Alley played for Spurs, you remember? When he's jumped up with Yerry Mina and he's blatantly handballed it. It's the same thing then, same referee then. So it wasn't as big as a howler as those two. So once it's given, you know, the classic fabled line of it needs to be clear and obvious for a VAR to overturn it, it was never really going to be overturned. Now, it's 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 soft as hell and it, it, it's killed us because it's a vital penalty in a close game. But ultimately, if we're going to be honest, you know, like I said before, if it had been in the other box and it had happened, we'd have been screaming for a pen. And like you said, Pete, you bang on there. Mo, you normally gauge your player's reaction. And I think Garner kind of knows and he? you can tell by his reaction. You know, whether we surround the referee in that instance or not, once he's given the pen, he's never going to turn overturn it as he wants he's pointed to the spot. So... For me, it's a vital penalty in a really close game. Like I said before, the first goal was always going to be vital. And 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 they managed to nick it through that. And then once they got that first goal, they completely relaxed then, didn't they? And, and, and then, you know, like we said before, the game was as good as over. Well, like with the Leeds game, you know, when we went 1-0 ahead, more space was created, wasn't it? So straight away, we probably relaxed a little bit against Leeds. They, they, they pushed for an equaliser. We found more space. You know, the 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 core chance when he's played in by Ada Sims sh- sh- uh, highlights that. Uh, and the same happened with us yesterday, where you know we we tried to open up not without any success, but then it created space and they got the second goal um fairly late on in, in, in the piece and, and and that was that. And you know, it was I think I think our players probably believe that if we go one nil down, that we're not gonna get get back in the game. In terms of winning the game, we, we we may we may be able to get a draw, and and they know they, they must know the sure falls that we've got in terms of that final third because players are putting as I say great balls in there, they, they are creating chances, but there's just no one on the end of them. And some you know we, if we're struggling in terms of our, our attacking options, 
the midfielders have got to gamble as well. The the Onanas, the the, the Corys, you know, they they've got to get in the box as well and 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 be a body. You know, we, we saw it with Onana in the first half from a great Michalenko cross, great header, great save. You know, we 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 saw that. We've got to see more of that. If, if we if we're struggling with the one man up front, who, who's not doing doing much to to cause any kind of concern for the centre halves and not not finishing one his chances, but also not getting into the into the key areas. Other players have got to take some kind of responsibility because we're not going to. We know we can't go and buy anyone else now. We know the manager is still waiting for Dominic Calvert Lewin to get himself fit. And if we, you know, we said it all the way through. This transfer window that's just gone was an absolute gamble from those in the uh, on the board uh, and the owner, and and it could cost us dearly. Yeah, it's hard to take the narrative away from Calvert Lewin. You know, there's, there's a reason why Dice is getting asked pretty much first question every every press conference. You know, is is Dom fit? When's DCL fit? Because look, we as fans, the press people asking the questions, they know, and and Dice knows probably deep down he's never going to come out and say it. He knows. He knows that we look at a completely different outfit when we've got Calvert Lewin up front. We showed that against Arsenal. You know, we haven't had him since the 60th minute against Arsenal, and you know we've struggled in in those games. You know, if we were anything on, on on any sort of form or any sort of decent forward, we said this last week, we'd have probably put two or three pass leads comfortably. You know, they weren't great, but far from it, and they offered they offered nothing in the attacking in the attacking third either. So, so for me, it, it, it's it's just. It's vital. But I said to you, Mike, when we spoke this morning, I said, how have we ended up right now as a football club? I'm trying to wrap my brains around it. And I was saying to you, like, thinking out loud, really going, how have we gone from Lukaku to Richarlison to Mope in, in almost what seems like a blink of an eye? You know, we know it's gross mismanagement. But when, when, when we, we kind of worked out, didn't we, in a very basic terms without writing it down, in the last four transfer windows... We've basically made a profit, give or take. You know, in, in the selling of Richarlison and the selling of Gordon in the most recent window, you know, the players we've bought, we, we worked out Rafa Benitez spent 1.7 million in the summer. Then in the winter, he bought, he sold Luca Dean as well for 25 million. So if you said that, you know, Luca Dean there for 25, I know he basically broke even, give or take, with Patterson and, and Mikalenko for that, for that one player. We then sold Richarlison and then sold Gordon and then brought in Mope. I mean, so, so we've gone from having, a, you know, what you'd say a half-decent strike force not that long ago in Durangelotti to suddenly having what something that looks very, very relegation. It looks very championship. Mm. And, you know, that, that's just unforgivable for me. You can't, you can't go. I looked, I looked at Wolves the other day when they went to Fulham. I'm thinking... But yeah, that Wolves team on paper is a good side. That that's a good side. They've got you know they've got Jimenez there. They've got Sarabia playing around him. He was in the Spanish squad in the World Cup. Played for PSG. You know what I mean, they've got that sort of quality there. They've got Mateus Nunes in midfield. They've got Neves. They've got Pedro Neto to come back in the side. I'm looking at that Wolves team and thinking, bloody hell, seven or eight of those players getting our first team easy. Even Villa yesterday. You know, you could make an argument for the majority of that Villa team we're getting our first eleven right now. Maybe other than a few, a few of the guys at the back. You know, Ollie Watkins walks into that team right now, doesn't he? What we do for an Ollie Watkins right now? I know he's, I know he's been hit and miss with Villa fans, but the lad scored was he four and four, five and five. Now he's made a massive difference to them. So you know, we've suddenly ended up. We've gone from, like I said, having like you know players that would get you double figures in goals at least. That you know, having a guy that scored one go- you know, sorry, that scored one goal all season. It's 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 for me, and, and we have said this before. If we go down, it'll be completely there that we didn't sign anybody. Not just in the winter window that's just gone, but in the summer window as well. We haven't signed. You know, we we need arguably two strikers, another winger. And we actually depleted one of our attacking threats when we sold Gordon as well. Now, obviously, it turned out to be a good deal for us, but because we brought no one in, we're in an absolute mess, aren't we, when you look at it now? No matter how Dai stresses it up, saying this is a good squad, there's good players, he's trying to keep upbeat and positive. This could be the end of his ear, this, 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 this ability not to score enough goals to keep us up. You're right, and I think basically the, the, the difference in these, in these types of games is, is, is that. Is the we, we haven't got the the ability or the quality in the final third. We've got 
the commitment. I, I saw it yesterday that the players were committed. I think the players are putting it all in. I think they're working hard. I think that, you know, when, when Sean Dice says that the, the minimum, minimum requirement is maximum effort, I'm seeing it. No question. And the manager was correct in what he said yesterday in terms of the performance. But the quality just isn't there when it comes to scoring goals. And in the Premier League, I think now Everton are the lowest scorers in the whole of English football. The whole of English football. Now that, if that doesn't set alarm bells ringing, if people are walking around with blinkers on around Finch Farm and, and Goodison Park and, and the large buildings and what have you, if that doesn't set alarm bells ringing to them, then the, the serious issues. But it's too late now. It is too late to address the issue. And for me, there was a there was a, a want and a need to address it from Kevin Thelwell, from Sean Dyson, Frank Lampard. It doesn't it didn't appear to be a want and a need to address it from a board level. It, it, it's it's as simple as that. And if we like you say, if we go down, that will be the reason why we go down. It it, it is that easy. We should have had another attack again, either along with Neil Mopay or instead of Neil Mopay in the summer. And it should have been one or two brought in in January. One, another centre-forward, and two, another wire player to replace Anthony Gordon. At the very least. At the very least, over those two windows. And like you say, basically in the last four windows, we've made the profit now because of the Gordon sale. But in the, in the three windows prior, we, we spent, like you say, 1.7%. And then we, we basically spent what we brought in in the other two. And and that, that is that is, is gross mismanagement and, and and negligence. Um you know, but it's it, you if, know, you look, if you look at it, Mike, 50 million for a Charles and 40, was it 40, 45 for for we believed will rise to for, for Gordon, and then um, 25 million for Luca Dean. So just those three players alone, just those three players alone, that, that falls within that four window that we were talking about. You know what? What is? You know, never mind yeah, the little assets that we've sold that we're all you know, not on the verge of the first team. But just those three players alone, right there, is over 100 mil, isn't it? You're looking at 110 mil, 115 mil. So, you know, we haven't reinvested that, and that's why you look at the likes of Villa, who've pulled away a little bit here. You look at the like the likes of Wolves, who've pulled away a little bit, because you know, let's be frank, you know, not only is their squad better than ours, but their first eleven is, especially in the especially in the final third. You know, we're mile. We've seen miles behind some of those teams, and it's happened in the blink of an eye. You know, you look at before a fit, a fit Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, and even the Hammers when we had him, and they would have walked into most of those teams I've just mentioned there. You know, I mean, you know, easily walked into those teams. Now we we haven't got anyone there now, any assets there that any teams would want. No, you're right. You're, we're, we're getting to the to the the dregs almost of our of our assets. You know, outside of. Jordan Pickford, obviously, you signed a new deal. Um, Amadou Nana. In terms of players with, with some kind of sell-on and some kind of profit and who will appeal to other premiership sides and top European sides, it's it, it's few and far between. But one player who has come up in conversation this week who is on loan, Connor Cody, a lot of talk around us potentially making his move a permanent one for £4.5 million in the summer. It's been going through a bit of a bit of a sticky patch, I'd say, in terms of fans. Um, he's been getting a little bit of stick, I would say, uh, in in recent weeks. And we're going to discuss his future after our first break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the second part of today's Unholy Trinity podcast. And like I said, Connor Cody, obviously on loan from Wolves, 
the you know the belief that the general consensus has been he's done all right, especially probably the early part of the season. Everyone's saying it was a great leader. You, you see the videos when we go on the road or tunnel access, and he, he's the one who's in the lineup who's who's trying to everybody up in the tunnel. And, and when they get onto the pitch, it, it, it appears to be him who's who's leading from the front. Um, as I say, talk this week of, of us making the deal permanent. I think Frank Lampard was very keen to do so, and and it didn't happen. Then it went a little bit quiet. But now Sean Dyche it appears seems to be keen to to keep him at the club. Um, I'm. It's the, the reason why we're, we're choosing to discuss this is after the second goal yesterday, we, we look at the goal so, you know, when Dia goes past Connor Cody and starts it into the near post. And he looked, me and Pete looked at the uh, the clip on the way on the way home and looked a little bit slow, a bit leggy. Cody, you know, okay, it was, it was it was decent feet, but it wasn't particularly quick. He was off balance. And Jordan Pickford let him know what he thought about about his defending in that particular situation. But, Pete, what are your thoughts on Connor Cody? You know, obviously, a lot will probably depend on where we are, where we're playing our football, given the uh, our current situation. But if we, if we take on board other players in in terms of centre-halves, who won't be there. Yeri Mina won't be there out of contract. You'd argue that Mason Holgate will probably go. Michael Keane... Who knows? You know, he's a favourite of Sean Dice. I know he's been struggling with injury, but he has been in, in, in a few of his squads now. hasn't had any time under him. Do you think the club are going to go all in with Connor Cody or, and, and would you be happy with it? I, well, I think the short answer is, is yes, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> I think initially when, when we signed him on loan, I, I'm sure the initial figure quoted was about eight, 8 million if we chose to buy him, but I, I believe that figure is considerably less now. Um, I think you you said about what four four and a half yesterday, um, and if so, I think that's a steal, you know, for an England international. And yeah, you're right. He, his form for the last four or five games has been a little bit patchy at times, and I think he's been a, a, maybe a little bit quieter on uh, on the pitch and in the Leeds game. Although we have got a clean sheet. I thought Patrick Bamford gave him um, far too much of a, of a difficult game, really. And I, I thought it was more case that Leeds and Patrick Bamford were poor and wasteful with the chances they had than um, than we did really well, so, you know, defensively. But I think, like you were saying, the key thing is you've got to look at who goes and, and who's left. Because, um, you know, if Mina's out of contract, Mason Holgate potentially might move on. Michael Key might move on as well. Uh, you know what you're getting with with Connor Cody, and uh, you know when we signed him, when we signed him and 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 Tarkovsky. I guess one of the key things we were talking about was how many changes we'd had in our back line um, under Frank Lampard and under uh, Rafa Benitez, both for injuries and for tactical reasons. But we, we had a horrendous time with uh, injuries to Mina and Godfrey in particular, and we needed stability. And you know, and leadership and consistency, and I think that's uh, that's what you get, and that's such a bare minimum um, in the in the Premier League. You, you need a consistent defence, uh, and I, I think you, you know all players go up and down with with patches of form. We can't expect them to be having like a seven, eight, nine out of ten every, every game. I think you know with, within the last uh, four games, Villa, Leeds, Liverpool, Arsenal, we've got two clean sheets there. Um, and that's not to be sniffed out when you, you look at the, the goals that we were leaking in uh, because we were absolutely horrendous. Uh, the, you know, the, the last kind of six, seven games de- defensively, the Lampard in particular, as much as we liked him, we just looked absolutely clueless as soon as the team started running at us, um, you know, d- d- disorganised and just so easy to cut through. So I, I'm hoping... The, the future's bright for Everton and um, Connor Cody's part of that future. I think he could. I think he could be an important part of our rebuild again, just in terms of having a a stable, consistent backline um, that you know we can try and build from and, and improve further. But I, I think he uh, he deserves a, a contract and hopefully another two or three years in the Premier League with us. I think you're right in terms of obviously the fee of, of four four and a half million pound. It's not a great outlay. People will argue you could probably go and get somebody else for a similar price who's who's younger. 
or experience. Um, but you know, I think I think generally, generally it's been a, a decent loan. It was certainly one that he was keen to to, to take it, and and obviously he's he's keen to stay permanently as well. Um, what what are your thoughts on him, Lee? Because are you surprised by by people's take on him in recent weeks in terms of he seems to be getting a little bit of flack? That uh, that's probably fair to say. Do, do you think he's he's dropped off a little bit compared to his his earlier season form? Yeah, well, that's evident, definitely. Um, you know, he, he's, he has struggled in the probably last half a dozen games, you'd say. Uh, I'm going to defend him a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's in he's in our squad. And, he, he, you know, it's clearly one of the things we, we've lacked, and we've talked about this on previous podcasts in previous seasons, is is an out-and-out leader. Now, Seamus is a, he's proved to be a brilliant leader. A lot of Seamus' stuff he leads by example more than anything else. Connor is certainly a vocal guy, isn't he? He's clearly well respected in the changing rooms. Um, in the changing room, sorry, he's clearly well, was massively well respected by the by the management, the previous management, the current management. The players look up to him, like Pete said, England international. You know, some fans are obviously kicking off that we're paying four and a half million for a thirty-year-old. I mean, I think that's absolutely ludicrous. That, to be honest, um, I mean, you know, even for his leadership abilities alone. We need those types of players in the in these types of scenarios. And God forbid if we do end up going down, and we you know there will be a mass exodus probably. Well, there will be. There's no doubt there will be players. You know, he's the type of guy you would want in your dressing room, isn't it? In in, in really tight, horrible situations. You know, um, yes, he's been poor. One thing I would say I've noticed more about him in the last half a dozen games or so, and this is what fans. It might, you know, and rightly picking him up on a little bit is that his first reaction, because of his lack of pace, his first reaction is to drop off, isn't it? When when players are running at him, he, he, you know, he, he, like most players without pace or towards the end of their careers, they do tend to run towards their own goal rather than engage. You know, and it's been far too easy for some teams to get shots off against us, um, you know, without anybody actually physically going to close the ball down. Um, yes, you could point the finger at him. For the goal with Buendia yesterday, but you've also got to say it's a great bit of skill. You know, he sent he sent a few of them there the wrong way. He's he's right foot. He's gone to shape it with his right, and he and he's you know uh, dragged it away with his left uh, onto his left. Sorry, and, and finished it well. You know, as I said before, I think Buendia is a lovely player, and he, you know he's he's really well liked at Villa after a poor you know initially a poor start when they signed him. So. Yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to defend him a little bit. Yes, he needs to sort of sharpen up a little bit, and, and Daesh will be a good guy for him to work under. But you know, for four and a half million quid, like I said before, I mean, that's that for me is an absolute steal. You sign him up. You know, in terms of you said before, we could sign him potentially younger talent. You know, you got to remember we've got the likes of Branthwaite, who's, who's having a great loan spell over in Holland. You know, you've got the likes of him coming, you know, potentially coming back into into the fold next season. Or he might stay another year on loan, or whatever that may be. So at the moment, for me, you know, Cody, yes, he's out of form, but yes, I'd certainly keep him. And if anyone's kicking off about the thirty-year-old thing, I mean, United spent sixty million on Casemiro, sixty million. No, don't get me wrong, he's turned out to be a superb signing. You know, potentially even for me, arguably one of the players of the season in the Premier League. Never mind for United. You know, and he's proved to be a world-class player. But for four and a half million quid snap the hand off and take it for me. I think it's leadership qualities on their own, like you said then, you know, are potentially worth that kind of figure. If we look at players who might be going, obviously Yamina will definitely go. We mentioned Holgate's Keane, you got Brantway coming back in, you would assume. Um, obviously, this is all dependent on Everton's Premier League status, of course. But you do need players like him, like a Seamus Coleman, in and around the squad. If, if you're looking... Obviously, at bringing in younger players, especially, and, and looking to, to to recruit efficiently and effectively, and that's a big ask. I know for Everton Football Club to do that, but if you're looking to bring in players, the likes of what Brighton do and Brentford do, and, and and teams like that, then you do need these characters in and around the place to to help mould and 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 lead these these younger players. Um, and and I think you know was he'll be disappointed himself probably with without how his, his recent form has gone. He has struggled a little bit. Um, he, for me, I know you said, you said it was good feet. I just thought, I mean, he was just, he was off balance, but he looked, he looked slow. He looked, maybe, maybe it was just, it was late on in the game. 
he was tired, you know, potentially it was that, but um, it's been a little bit of a struggle for him recently, and there's been a few a few calls of, of potentially bringing in Yeri Mina. Maybe he, he gets the nod um, with, with a couple of games over the, over the course of the, the next week or so. So, you know, that remains to be seen, but I can, I can totally understand the, the, the want and the desire of, of the manager to, to, to make the, the deal a permanent one. And I, I do get it. Um, I do think that his form will recover. And, and I do think that, that it will probably see him more often than not as we, as we enter the, the back end of the season. Um, but, you know, who knows, as I say, what, what, what's going to happen over the, the next sort of six, eight, ten weeks. You know, hopefully we can, we can pull ourselves away from the bottom three. That, that's the most important thing. Uh, opportunity missed most definitely against Aston Villa we'd all agree that you know get three points there and we're in a much better situation than we find ourselves in today I think the, the Ari Mina one's an interesting shout that because you know for me and we've said it you've said it Mike you're, you're, you're a big fan of his I'm a fan I'm a, I'm a fan of his well I know you are Pete as well you know there's an argument he, if he came into side against Arsenal for example instead of Cody based on form you wouldn't be surprised you know, the mm. other thing Yeri gives you as well, you know, he's a shrewd character, he can wind up forwards, but he's also, you know, better on the ball than people give him credit for. He's also very, very dangerous in the opposition box. You know, if we're whipping in now corners, you know, we look a lot more dangerous from set pieces. I mean, it's mainly Tarkovsky that looks, has looked dangerous since Dice has come back in. I can't recall Cody having many, too many efforts from set pieces. You know, one thing Yeri would give you is he would give you that threat in, in, in the opposition box. Now, I'm also quite surprised at the minute as well that um, he hasn't looked at Ben Godfrey, you know, either playing, you know, looking at maybe playing at left back. You know, we, I know Carlo did that initially. Um, you know, Mikolenko you know, didn't have his worst game with any. In fact, he put a couple of good, I think it was him that put the cross in for the Onana header. But, um, you know, certainly against Arsenal, for example, where you're up against pace. And, you know, we, as we showed when we played them at home, they've got, you know, a very talented team, particularly out wide. You know, that that for me, is, is you know potentially a shout for Godfrey wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't be a bad shout you know particularly if you you know we need to have any pace in that back line at all have we and then that's what he gives you is that is that raw pace you know particularly if we're being if we're being countered like if we'd have been countered like we did against Liverpool for example if that's Godfrey instead of Mikalenko running back to his own goal you'd probably fancy him a bit more wouldn't you um, but you know that, that that's another story I also wanted to mention as well just quickly is is you know. Um, Jordan Pickford signing a new contract, and, and I wanted to applaud him for that. Um, you know, for, for what that, you know, he could have potentially gone on a free, got a massive payday from it. You know, there would definitely be clubs in for him in the summer, whether we stay up or not. I'd be very surprised to be honest if, if Spurs don't come in for him. And you know, by signing that contract now, it guarantees us a much stronger fee, doesn't it, in the market? You know, it, it puts us in a much stronger position from a negotiation stance. And I wanted to credit him for that. You know, if he goes, he goes. And he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for us on the whole. He's, he's been the England number one pretty much ever since the day he signed for us. And, you know, like you said, Mike, an unbelievable save yesterday from Ollie Watkins with that header. I mean, you know, if that, that's got to be in, the, you know, the top five saves of the season. So for me, you know, credit for it's due that he signed that new contract because, you know, what could then potentially be in the summer, you know, even, you know, 20 million players suddenly becomes a 40, 50 million pound player now with the contract and the yeah, you've got to take that off to him, of course. Um, it, it's certainly, like you say, you know, if, if the worst comes to the worst and, and he has to be moved on, our position is protected in terms of the fee that we can demand. Um, I think it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a nice touch. He's getting paid, obviously, handsomely to, to be at the club. But I think it is you know, all credit to him because he could have moved on. He could have gone down his contract. Because now I'm off in the summer, regardless of the situation, and I'll do you out some sort of 30 million quid. And he's not done that. And, and fair play to him. You know, he said it himself. He, he arrived at the club when he was 22 years of age, I think it was. If he sees out this contract, he, he would have played 10 years for the club and, and beyond, which would be a, a fantastic feat. He mentioned the great Neville Southall, um, Tim Howard, goalkeepers like, you know, of that ilk who, who he. He admires and he and he aspires to to have those kind that kind of career at Everton, um, which which you know was was nice to hear and, and hopefully, you know we, we do see him for the next sort of three or four years because you know we, he's one player. I know obviously he's had his struggles, 
over the years, but last sort of two years or so, I think he's been fantastic. Um, and, and he deserves the contract for me. Uh, and I'm delighted that, that, that he signed it. Um, but obviously, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to look ahead now and we've got to put the Villa game to bed. You mentioned there briefly about the Arsenal game, Lee, and it's a game, you know, we discussed Yeri Mina, Ben Godfrey, you know, did we make any changes up top? Maybe, Pete, it's a game when the manager thinks, obviously, the top of the table, they're flying high. We played them a few weeks ago. We were fantastic. Manager's first game. But maybe it's a game, Peter, the manager thinks, you know what? I might try a couple of things. I might try Ben Godfrey for his pace, see how he plays left or right back. I might bring Yerry Mina in, take one of the other lads out. We've got a big game against Forrest coming up at the weekend as well. You know, we might see Mopades off out, Sims come in, or, or Demari Gray play Sensel. Um, and see what he can do with, with, with his pace. Do you think the manager will be looking at making making potential changes with potentially Forrest in mind at the weekend? I'd be surprised. Um, and I, I, I base that just on what, what I feel I know about Sean Dyche as a manager. And um, yeah, he's, he's only been in charge for four games. But I think, again, the message from those first four games has been consistency, solidity, organization he seems to be settled on what he feels is his starting 11 is so i wouldn't expect there to be probably any more than maybe one change um and i think that would just be a case of who he decides to go with uh up top whether that's mope again which is probably what i'd expect um whether you try sims or i, I suppose the, the, the curveball is does he give damari gray a, a a shot from a, a central position potentially with a view to playing on the counter attack, um, I mean that's that's something we've not really spoke about in uh, in any depth whatsoever on on the podcast. But he's probably our best attacking player. Um, yet you don't get the defensive work rate out of him. No, he's not going to be able to to hold the ball up or challenge in the air or maybe do some of the the, the nasty things that Mope might be able to do for us, but. Probably out of the, the, the three, Mope, Sims and Gray himself, he's the best finisher. And he's the one that can go past the player or two. Um, he can go either side. He's good with both feet. Um, he's fit. You know, you, you, you tend to get more than 30, 40 minutes of running out of him. He, he can manage himself over the 90 minutes. So I think it's a shame, really, that we've not been able to find a way of fitting him into our, our starting eleven because he scored important goals for us. So I think a lot of Evertonians are, are, are kind of clamouring for Gray to be in the starting eleven, starting eleven, or you know, will Dash go for four four two? But I just think it makes us too open, particularly away from home. So I expect to see the same system um, with the same players, unless there's any new injuries or or knocks or niggles. So like we might look to protect Anana, for instance, and maybe bring Tom Davies in, but. Again, I just think it would weaken the midfield so much. So I don't expect there to be too many changes, but I'd be interested in what you lads think. I agree with you, Pete. I do think he, I do think he'll go with the same team that got the points against Arsenal at home, purely because over everything he prioritised solidity and hard work, doesn't he? And that there's a reason why Damari Gray has not has barely played since Dice has come in. Yes, he's worked with McNeil before. He trusts him. He knows what he can get out of him covering the fullbacks. Um, Gray won't obviously give you that. Uh, certainly, he'll try to, but he won't give it you as diligently as as McNeil will. And but for me, in a team that's really, really lacking goals at the minute, you know that that's the most you know biggest understatement of the year. Gray needs to get. We need to find a way to get Gray into this team. Um, we we need to. Maybe not the Arsenal game's the right one because obviously it's going to be all about being hard, hard to beat. You know, being solid you know, um, more than anything else and maybe trying to get a set-piece goal like we did when we beat him at home. Um, but I just think we've got to find a way. And it's same with Iwobi. Iwobi, Iwobi, I said this to you before, Mike, Iwobi playing on the right-hand side is is now going back to Iwobi he was when we signed him initially. You know, he's offering next to nothing in creativity because, as Lampard bang on said, the thing is with Alex, he's such an honest player He'll do any job for you. He said that, didn't he? He said, look, if you put him out on the wing, he'll run up and down all day. He'll work hard. 
and he'll and he'll cover the fullbacks. The problem is when he plays out there because he doesn't really normally go down the line and go but like to go past the man. He likes to link up play, doesn't he? He likes to slide, make slide rule balls. He likes to play that. That's where he gets his creativity from. He's not a winger that'll go past you and love to put a cross in. So what he does, if you watch him every single time when the ball comes out to him on the right, his first instinct is to come inside. He comes inside onto his left foot. He hasn't really got much of a left foot. So therefore, he's in a position where he can't really influence the game. He ends up going square to midfield or even going backwards. And that's where you know we know Alex then doesn't offer anywhere near the same creativity. We got the best out of him, and Frank was playing him through the middle. You know when he could get in position centrally and go, you know, go onto his right foot, slide balls in, you know, make little one twos, maybe get shots off. So for me, he's got to find a way there. Does he? Does he? Does he? Does he go Onana, Gay, and then instead of Decore, have Awobi in the middle there, and then put Damari Gray? On the well, he's better off the left, really, isn't he? If 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 if, if, we're, if we're honest, does he do that? Uh, maybe that's maybe that's the way he needs to have a look at it. Because for me, I'd personally have Gray down the left, potentially, you know, uh, a Wobie in the middle, of, you know, playing a higher a higher forward, a, a higher up of the three, and then you play on the right hand side. You then you then maybe look at potentially McNeil coming in on his left foot, either getting shots off and putting crosses in. So. He's got to find the way because, you know, Pete was bang on there. One thing that Gray has got, he's got bags of pace. He can go by a man. He's got a trick. He's got good technique. Yes, he's wasteful. Yes, he doesn't always make the right decision. We know that. But he's also won his games with moments of magic, including Arsenal, you know, scoring a last-minute absolute worldie against them. So, you know, and what he will offer you that Mope doesn't offer you is that he can run in behind. He's got pace. We're going we're gonna to have 20 30% of the ball against Arsenal midweek. We're going to need to carry a threat on the counter. What pace have we got in the side, really? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, yeah. Gray's got to come in. He's got to find a way to get Gray in that team. I just don't see him putting Gray in, in one of the wide positions, though, just solely based on the fact that defensively, he hasn't got what it will be McNeil have got in terms of sort of that work rate. And, and McNeil, probably more so than it will be, is, is decent in terms of covering his, his full back and getting back. It was where case is very, very good. I think Demai, really, that side of his game is where he lacks, and that's why we haven't seen him very much. Yeah, that's why I said before, 100%. I agree with that. But, but you, you see my point. Arsenal are going to oh, pen yeah. us in. Arsenal are going to pen us in way more than he did at Goodison. You know, Emirates under the lights, it's going to be a bloody horrible game, that, you know. And I, you know, I've said to you before, Mike, under Dice so far, we've been in games. We haven't conceded early in games. Maybe the earliest we conceded the Derby. You know, on the counter-attack, we were caught out with a sucker punch there. We've been in games. You know, he's kept us in games. We've not conceded early. But we can't We can't keep on going into games thinking the only way we win this is keeping a clean sheet. It's impossible to keep a clean sheet in every game. I would be very, very surprised if we keep a clean sheet at Arsenal. You know, the form they're in, they've turned it round since they lost to us. They've won the last two games, you know, and they're going to be heavy favourites, aren't they, on Wednesday. We need to carry some form of threat. Maybe we do play him through the middle then. Don't give him the responsibility of covering the fullback. Maybe we just have to play him through the middle and maybe say to Onana or Decorah, you've just got to get close to him and try and slide him in. I think that's the only way he gets into, into this dice system currently is if you say to, to Demarica, yeah, you play as, as the Mope figure of this particular side, push Onana on, which to be fair, Onana, that's what he's been doing, especially from goal kicks. You know, Pickford's aiming for Onana every single time. He pushes on. But but say to Gray, listen, what you all you gotta do is hire them, use your pace. When you pick the ball up, go at them. Try and make something happen. We saw it against Man City, what a fantastic goal that was out of absolutely nothing. Uh, like you say, we saw it against Arsenal last season, Goodison Park. But I do think he will get his chance, and I think the manager's gonna have to look at potentially doing something a little bit different and not playing Ellis Sims and not playing Neil Mope. And playing Demari Gray and, and utilizing his pace, as you say, in a game when we're going to have 20, 30 percent possession, we're going to be penned in. When we do get the opportunity to break, we're going to have to sign, make the most of it. And the way to do that is to use the pace that we do have. And, and Demari, Demari Gray is, is our quickest attacker, that's for sure. Our best attacker is our top goal scorer, but I think I'm second in the goal scoring chart, so it doesn't really say a great deal. Um, but yeah, I think I think that could be the change. I say I do think that 
you know, mine just never write off games. And we shouldn't as fans, you know, we, we've proven we can beat that, we can beat Arsenal. Different circumstances, of course, at Goodison Park a few weeks ago. But we shouldn't go there with any kind of fear. If we if we adopt the same kind of, of tactical setup, you know, we we went um we doubled up on on the wide players, Martinelli and Saka when we played in the Goodison Park, it worked really, really well. I wouldn't be averse to, to throw a little bit more pace in with Ben Godfrey. To, to give a Seamus Coleman or Michalenko a break before we play Forest on Sunday. I wouldn't be averse to seeing Yehamir in the back. Like you said, Lee, you know, the attributes that, that he's got when he can stay fit is he's great in the air. So from set pieces, probably our best header outside of Dom when he's fit. So he's good in the air defending and attacking. He's a wind-up merchant as well. I think he's better on the ball than people uh, give him credit for. I trust him personally on the ball as much as he's a little bit un- ungainly. I trust him. I, I, I think he, and obviously because he's strong as well, that helps helps him to recover. And he's certainly not no, no slower than, than than Connor Cody. Um, so, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't be averse to making two or three changes in that game because if we get anything from it, it's a bonus. Of course, it is. And you know, the manager's got to got to show, I think, a little bit of, of flexibility as well and, and utilize the squad because the games come thick and fast. Um, we've got to we've got to be make sure that we're not overexerting some some real key players as well. Just just on my point on Awobi there, boys. What Pete? I'll go to you first. What what's your thoughts, Pete, on playing? You know, so Awobi playing in the Decore position, so playing a bit higher up. We know he's much better centrally. We know he's much more creative centrally. He likes to play those passes. I think he's wasted out wide, but he. he He'll work for you, but he, you know, he offers nowhere near the same threat, does he? I, I, I agree with you. I think the issue is like, like Mike was saying about playing Damari Gray on, on the right. I, I think one, you'll, you'll get less out of him than if you played on, on the left in terms of his attacking play. But I think it makes us too vulnerable defensively, or at least through Sean Dyche's eyes. And I, I think that's probably the sole reason he's having a Wobi on the right and he's slotting Decore in there just to. Um, to keep us in games, and and that's the that's the kind of dice philosophy, isn't it? It's, it's stay in the game and try and get something out of it. Don't set up to win. Um, and I think at the I think at the moment it, it's probably the mentality we need when you look at the table and the position we're in. So it it's one of them. We're, we're going to have sort of games sometimes, like you know, like Aston Villa, or we're going to come away from matches where we we've maybe missed an opportunity potentially through not. Um, being on the front foot enough or making the most of attacking chances, but then are we going to pick up enough points through just being solid enough and staying in games for for long enough and then managing to get the first goal? It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a massively difficult one. I just think Arsenal's the wrong shout. Arsenal's the game where you need to be solid. You need to stay in the game as long as you can. You need to be you know filling the spaces. You need to be making it difficult to play through, like we did when we played them at home. But certainly Forest. You know, Forest have been, you know, their goal difference is shocking. There's a goal difference. Their goal difference should be in the, they should be in the bottom three. But they've managed to win a lot of games at home, one nil. Certainly since we've come back from the from the World Cup. And you know, they are, I know they got hammered four four nil, but they were still in that West Ham game with 20, 30 minutes ago. It was nil nil. So, you know, they were still in that game up until that point. I think Forest, he's got to be a bit braver there. You know, in order for us to stay up, we knew the home games were important. Villa was a chance to get a win. You know, the chance to build on that momentum, it would have been nine points from a possible 12. We've lost that momentum now. It's six from a possible 12. You know, Villa would have been one we'd have maybe marked down as a potential chance for a home win there. So we're going to have to pick up points away from home. Forrest is a chance. You know, does he go braver and play a Wobi through the middle? You know, maybe maybe stick McNeil on the right then. Or I even said to you, Mike, if Patterson comes back in and he's fit, he's a player who's aggressive with the ball, likes to get forward. Do you play Coleman at right back and then maybe even play Patterson right midfield? You know, I'm just thinking left field here, by the way. But players, we haven't got many players other than Damari Gray who like to run with it and go past people. Patterson gives you that aggression, doesn't he? And he hasn't got a bad cross on him either. So, you know, again, this is obviously food for thought. And I'm thinking of some of these away games like Leicester away, like Forest away, like Palace away that we've got now that are going to be vital for us to stay up. I, th- I think Patterson's potentially an option if he if he's fit. Obviously, we're looking further ahead to the Forest game without going into too much detail on that. You've got James Garner as, a, as an option as well. He, he's played a little bit more than um, than Patterson. And in terms of training, 
they both got around at the same time in the under 21 game. Patterson got a knock. So James Garner's an option as well for, for midfield. If we're looking at Alex Awobi, uh, you know, we've also got James Garner there. So maybe he does that. But I just think with the with the Arsenal game, I would not be averse to making a couple of changes here and there. Just I just wouldn't. I think maybe the manager might might look at that uh, just because he's got one eye on Forrest, whether that's right or wrong. That's just just my 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 personal opinion. But what are your predictions for the Arsenal game? Uh, we've got to go in there with them. We always end with the prediction. Uh, as difficult as the game is, as good as they are, great win for them at the weekend away at Leicester. Difficult place to go with the best of times, but they're riding high still uh, after a, a mini wobble. Pete, thoughts on the Arsenal uh, results? Oh, I, I think we're going to lose. Um <laughs> I, I I think we've had some tough fixtures. I, I think we've we've been. I, I just think the physical demands of of the way that we've had to play to get results is starting to take its toll a little bit. You know, midweek game, Emirates, they're on the up. That you know they've really had a bounce back. I think they'll be looking to maybe exact a bit of revenge for the result we've got. Um, I just think it might be a little bit too much for us, particularly like we've been saying throughout to today with the lack of our attacking threat. So I think we might lose 2-0. Lee? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with Pete. A very different game, very different, different atmosphere at Goodison. Dice's first game, we were exceptional that day. And obviously, you know, nicked the goal on the set piece. But we can't keep on riding our luck. And, and, and as, like I said before, you know, praying that we keep clean sheets every game. I can guarantee you right now, Mikel Arteta will be selling these lot before the game. Lads, come out the traps flying here like they have done in a lot of games anyway. And if we nick an early goal, it's as good as done. And that's where we are, sadly. So we've got to be expecting an absolute bombardment from the start. Our record there is is atrocious, as we know. Big pitch. You know I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to close those spaces on that pitch than it was at Goodison. Um, but look, maybe we can get if we do get a draw. I think it'll be it'll be nil nil or one one. But I'm going to say I think Arsenal will win it. I think they'll win it fairly comfortably, sadly. So I'm going to say I'm going to say three nil, sadly. Yeah, I think I do think we'll lose the game. I've got to be honest. It's it's a big step. It's a, it's a difficult game. As I say, you know the performance so well and consistently. After after a wobble, you know, the this season, I think they've been fantastic, Arsenal, and much much difficult, a uh, much more difficult situation than it was when when Sean Dice first came in, uh, when when we played in the Goodison Park. So I, I think we'll lose the game. I'll be a little bit more optimistic and say two one. I might even take the lead, uh, but I think they're going to have too much to really do, especially at home. Um, but fingers crossed, you know, you just never know if we can set up to be difficult to beat. Maybe we get something from the game. Um, stranger things have happened, but we we will see. But that's us for this week. Uh, disappointing, of course, to lose to Aston Villa, but put that one to bed now and, and look forward to a busy week with us playing Arsenal and then you know a really important game away at Nottingham Forest. And we'll be back ourselves post Nottingham Forest. So we will catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three Blues, Three Opinions, One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.